welcome, welcome, welcome to a brand new episode of the Spiraling Cod Podcast. Excuse me. I have a full on panel here with me today. I am joined finally, once again, by my friend, my buddy, my pal, Jason Holland down here with us. We also have our uh, six man coming in off the bench, uh, the ever so lovely Chelsea Cashiola and happy, happy birthday to her. Kristen Holland is joining us again. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Chelsea. Hey, Jason. Glad to have you guys here. How are y'all doing today? Doing good. Doing great. Heck yeah. That's awesome. I'm, I'm super, super happy to have you here. But last but not least, let's introduce our guest for this week. We have Sue Bowles. And Sue Bowles is a survivor turned author, speaker, and master certified life coach. She's the owner of My Step Ahead, committed to breaking the stigma around mental health struggles. You only have to be a step ahead to help the person behind you, is the bedrock to the value that Sue brings. She helps stuck people get unstuck by discovering hope, journeying together for the next step ahead. Whether she's speaking on a podcast, a stage, or one-on-one, Sue's enthusiasm is contagious shining the light of hope wherever the listener needs, cheering them to see their dreams become present reality. Ms. Bowles, Sue, how you doing? Glad to have you on the show. Thanks. I am well. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Guys, once again, shout out to Podcast Guest Connection. It's a wonderful, wonderful place. Uh, We've gotten a lot of our uh, interviews from there uh, this year, and it's been great. We've met some awesome and amazing people. We're going to add Sue to that list today. But Sue, uh, you know, like I said before, good to have you here on the show. Uh, Happy that you're here as well. Um, uh, I'm wondering, we we kind of talked briefly, you know, before, you know, we have the, the, you know, quite a bio and uh, we talked a little bit personally in our kind of our messages back and forth to each other, but I'm hoping maybe you can tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Sure. Uh, I, I can just jump right in if you would like. Hey, go, uh, hey, go on in full speed uh, ahead. That's how, that's how we like full to do throttle. It. That works. Yes, it's ma'am. fine. Uh, the, what you just shared probably capsulizes it best. And, and what, what I'll share in more detail as we get going here is where that that word survivor comes in. Um, I, I'm, I, I'm a childhood rape survivor that it, everything started when I was seven years old and I didn't tell anybody until my senior year of college. So and I'm sure we'll get into into that. Um, it really wasn't until well, that was. Okay, so senior year college, college, I tell somebody, but I really didn't even start dealing with it until 2014. And now, you know, six years ahead, now here I am helping other people. Uh, absolutely love it. I One of the things that, one of the privileges I've had in my life was being my mom's caregiver. Uh, mom lived with me and she has passed away in October. Uh, so, you know, missing her, but still knowing the treasure of, of having had that time and, and developing a really treasured relationship with her. Uh, but just through all the different things I've experienced in my life, uh, I'm to the point now where I want to continue to share my story in whatever aspect it takes, because if I don't share it, then I may not be able to help somebody. And it was hearing other people share their stories numerous times that helped me get to a place where I was ready to get some help too. So that's what I am all about now with, with life coaching, with speaking, with presenting, with whatever I have my hands in. It is all about helping somebody else. 
that's that's great to hear. I'm, I'm glad you, that, that you want to reach back and, and help some other people. That's a big part of, uh, I know, uh, my co-host Jason and his story. Um, first, let me say I'm super sorry for your mom's passing. That's tough. I would not wish that pain on anybody. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it, it has not been easy, but uh, we're, we're, we're making our way. We're, we're getting better with each day, so it's good. Yeah, time, time heals all wounds. So that was never, it doesn't get, you know, any easier. Um, right. But, uh, you know, time helps out a little bit. Yep. But um, so you mentioned, you mentioned Survivor, and that's a key part of your, uh, of your story. Um, and, and of course, obviously, we'll start with the big one, uh, the childhood rape. Um, uh, and again, if I, if I step overstep any bounds, or you just tell me to hush and I'll do it. Um, but <laughs> absolutely. But, uh, do you feel comfortable talking about that? Uh, I'm trying to be an open book about it. It's the only way I can help somebody. Gotcha. So, uh, so what happened? Well, it happened after, after school one day, uh, I was seven years old coming. It was back then it was safe to walk to school mile, mile away. And nobody thought anything about it I was walking home from school and a classmate named Bobby, um, approached me and said he wanted to show me something in the woods that was just off the sidewalk that we were traveling by. And um, I, uh, I followed him. And before I knew it, um, he was pinning me down and uh, held me against my will for about 45 minutes. And unfortunately, it wasn't just one incident. It was a multiple, uh, multiple rape. And his last words to me were, don't tell anybody. And he went out one side of the woods and I left the other way when I heard my mom calling me. And that was that was my that was my escape hatch. And my mom rescued me that day. And um, uh, and I'm finding myself a little emotional. Sure. And I, and I will. And I, I never say, please forgive me for my emotions. I simply say, please understand. There are many times I can tell the story and it's fine. There are the times I have a reaction like this, probably tying it into my mom. So again, just please understand. I understand. Uh, having said that, um, I didn't tell anybody and I didn't know the power those words were going to have over my life for so long. And, um, when, the way I described it is when you start off track, the longer you're going off track, the further the distance. So I had that as a formative event in my life that became a secret. And I, I, I've learned a lot about myself in the process of all the work I've done to get to where I am now. And one thing I've learned is that because I didn't know what had happened and I didn't have the words and at that, that point in time, rape was not something that was discussed. It was not on the radar. No one knew to ask. I didn't know to tell. So nobody did anything wrong that day except Bobby. He bears full responsibility for everything on that day. So having said that, I, I, I didn't say anything. And again, no one knew to ask. So it just stayed within me. As you can Anytime you have something that traumatic or anything like that, it's going to, over time, take root and, and show in different ways. Yeah. And for me, um, you know, I grew up in an alcoholic home. By the time I was a teenager and into college, my dad's alcoholism was, was pretty active. Um, we had a great childhood, but then it's kind of went off course for a while. Now, it is very important to say right now that my dad is coming up on 30 years sober. 
And oh, wow. Fantastic. In fact, I think, I think it's this weekend, actually. And I am so daggone proud of him. As you can tell by the smile on my face, I just talked to him a little bit ago. I was telling him I was doing this. He was all excited. And um, um, all the relationships have been restored. And my dad is my biggest cheerleader. So I always make sure I say that because they're another sign of hope. So anyway, so I've got the rape. Um, and then you know, got the stuff. And you know, There was other sexual abuse from a neighborhood kid stuff on high school dates happened that didn't need to happen. So this had this whole culture of not being respected, of not knowing that all that was wrong. And then you get to college. And by then I was a troubled kid. I, I was a troubled college student. Um, it came out in a few different ways. And for one, for me, it really came out in my eating disorder. I am in recovery from an eating disorder. And, um, so you know, that added to it, but it all stemmed from the rape. Everything else built from that. Uh, right. But when I finally told somebody my senior year of college, it, it kind of became my first step of relief. If I finally felt the pressure cooker start to let go just a little bit. But even then, that was still 1986. And it wasn't until 2014 that I really dealt with it. But um, it, it's been a long journey. Uh, but it's good to be on the other side of it too. Yeah, I'm, I'm, well, I'm, I'm glad that you're on the other side of it now. I mean, wow, that's incredibly powerful. I'm, I'm, I really am sorry that that happened to you. <laughs> no one deserves to be treated that way ever. There's no excuse. But uh, well, happy you know, for for your dad. Happy thirtieth uh, sobriety day. Uh, Chelsea actually just had her. She just had her tenth uh, anniversary. Congratulations! Recently. You understand it's a lot of hard work. I, I do. It's uh, it's an everyday ordeal. So mm -hmm. um, that is. I have so many questions for you. Um, <laughs> you know, I. You are such a beautiful human being, and I, you know, I'm very, I'm a very emotional being. Um, people that know me will tell you that I'm the biggest crybaby, but I just get more emotional about such amazing things that happen and seeing God work in other people's lives that I just, I can't help it. Um, and I think, A, thank you so much for your bravery of being willing to talk about you know, some really tough things, um, that it may help someone, you know, as, as being in recovery myself, there were a lot of pieces of my story that I would shy away from that I didn't want to talk about until I, I learned that important factor that even a small detail of my story could help someone else not feel alone or feel like there's hope. So thank you so much from the bottom of my heart, um, for doing that. Um, I guess my first question is, um, because, you know, I, I've worked in the, the treatment field for uh, about seven years before I, I went into the profession I'm in now. And so I did, you know, unfortunately have a lot of my females specifically, but not uncommon for male clients as well mm -hmm. to um, be rape victims. Mm -hmm. um, so my first question is, you know, especially at seven, that's such a developmental age what kind of belief system did it kind of cultivate within yourself of, of what it allowed you to believe about yourself? Wow. I believed I was worthless. And I, I couldn't put those words to it for a long time. But I believed that I had no reason to be here, that I was, I didn't matter, that people didn't care, uh, that I was just to be used. And, and, and just, yeah, I, I, I felt like I was worthless. And it really wasn't until um, 
Again, 2014. And I know we'll come back to that because it's such a pivotal, that's where the story pivots. You can tell by the smile on my face. For sure. Uh, but, um, you know, 2014, up to that point in time, I was starting to implode. My eating disorder was, was taking root. Um, we were really starting to deal with the rape for the first time. And um, at that time, I considered myself the holy exception. And what I mean by that was uh, I'm a Christian and my faith is the most important part of my life. And I, the enemy had convinced me that everything in the Bible was good enough for everybody else but me. Mm-hmm. I was the holy exception. And, uh, you know, obviously I don't believe that anymore. But as I was working through all that, I realized it all stems from that, that I didn't matter, that what I said didn't matter, that I didn't have a voice that nothing I say would make a difference, that I didn't, my voice didn't deserve to be heard. Because what were the last words from Bobby? Don't tell anybody. You know, and, and, and that and I think the other thing it, it told me and developed within me was that I was powerless over my life. Yeah. Well, I'll have you know, we're all believers here on this podcast today. It's something very important as, um, for our foundation, but also our friendship. Uh, we have lots of conversations, uh, outside of, of, um, just the foundation, um, you know, and it's something extremely important, you know, Jason's also in recovery. So that's something that, um, he's coming up on his three years. Congratulations, Jason. That's awesome. My, my, my brother who lives with me and helped, had helped take care of mom, uh, is coming up on his nine year next month. Awesome. So, I love that. Yeah. But I mean, it's just it's an emotional thing. Like, you know, every time I watch a baptism, I sob like a baby, whether I know someone's getting baptized, that's actually getting baptized or not. I just can't help it. It's just this knowing that someone made that decision in their life to commit their life to Christ and follow that path. It, it's just once you experience that that transformation in your heart and you know that that's what other people are about to experience it's just very overwhelming so to see that that restoration and that redemption that that christ has brought into your life you know i'm i will apologize for getting emotional because i don't actually know you but i i've already been crying so it's fine um emotions are a reason to apologize you feel what you feel you're right and uh and I'm grateful that I get to feel the day because there are a lot of days in my addiction that I moved that out. Uh-huh. Um, exactly. So I want to go back. So you talked about that that first day with Bobby and, um, you know, uh, you talked about your mom kind of being your way out uh, that day. And I, I just want to kind of point out the parallel of you kind of being her way out as she left this world and how absolutely beautiful that is in your story. Um, I just think that, you know, you identifying and getting to be present with her towards the end and and getting to walk through that after you had kind of gone through your own transformation, you know, back in 2014, pivotal year in your life. I just think that's so incredible to identify that that your mom played a part in kind of being your way out that day. Mm -hmm. Um, and then it kind of full circling, you know, past year Uh, yeah and if i can interrupt you real quick there was a time for a while there where and and again i um there was a while where i blamed mom i was mad at mom because of the reaction at that moment it was not supportive and it took a long time working it through to see it from her angle and to understand and forgive that she did the best she could 
She didn't know what happened. So I can expect her to understand because I didn't tell her, you know. Uh, So that's a lot of what my counselor and I had to work through. There was a time, you know, because of that, because I let all that get in the way and I take ownership. It was on me. I, 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 I spoke at her at her service. And I even said on there that there was a time where I would have said that mom and I were estranged. And that had to do with me and the work I needed to do. It had nothing to do with her. And I'm so very thankful that I did the hard work because the last years of her life have been such a treasure. I wouldn't trade it for the world. We've lived together since 1997. I have lived with my mom more, more than I have not in my entire life. And then, and I was thinking about this after she passed and I was like, you're trying to figure out your way afterwards. Like, what do I do now? My identity has been wrapped up in being her caregiver. Who am I and what do I do? And, um, we're figuring that answer out. But um, with all that, you know, because I did the work, I reaped the blessing. And, and, and you can see the smile on my face, man. It wasn't her fault. We're not estranged. And uh, I love her. I miss her dearly. She was my concert going buddy. I mean, we sent her out in style. And I mean, in style, uh, you know, and, and our family finds a way to, to have fun in the midst of, of immense heartbreak. Um, and that, that's a whole different subject and a different, different story of how we sent her out. But, you know, again, a, a part of the redemption story. That's awesome. Okay. I have two more questions and then I'll let Jackson oh. get his no. Hey, have at it. Do, do, do your <laughs> thing, Chelsea. You're on a roll. It's a free for all. So how empowering for you is it to be able to say your abuser's name out loud? Very. Um, I, I do... I, I think in the book, I think I actually named him with his last name as well. When I speak publicly, I don't. Um, and I think it's, that's more, um, I'm not quite sure why. I, 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 I think because I think it's good enough just to know his name is Bobby. You know, his last name doesn't matter to anybody else but me. Um, I, 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 I'm pretty sure in the book that I didn't, I didn't name him. Uh, and that was really the first time I had. Um, but it, it is very powerful because... Um, I have taken back the control he had. And when I name him, I'm in control. When I, when I call it out for what it was, I take back the control. Every time I open my mouth and share any aspect of my story in whatever setting, I am taking back the control he tried to take when he told me don't tell anybody. It's awesome. I love that. Okay. Last question uh, for now. Um, what was the, you know, you've, you've mentioned a couple of times, just kind of the, the different phases of, you know, it kind of being a, a theme throughout your early adolescent, um, you know, becoming a teenager and that you really didn't start talking about it until you were, were a senior in high or at college. So what was that turning point like for you and, and recognizing I have this thing inside of me that I, I don't want to keep inside anymore. Like I need to tell people, what was that? What was that moment like for you? Oh my, it was a surprise. It wasn't planned. I didn't even know it was going to come out. Um, and that, and yeah, the, 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 I keep talking about the book. I, I wrote a book in September 2019, and uh, it became my story. So I, I share a lot of this in, in more detail there, too. Um, 
my dean of students. I absolutely love him. His name is Ed Highland. I have since seen him, given you know, and, and he has a copy of the book, and we've had a whole bunch of conversations about everything. But and I, and I told him that he is uh, one of the most influential people in my life because he is the gentleman who first heard my secret. Ed had become my confidant in college. He was kind of like my, my 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 counselor, so to speak, on campus, and we would talk probably a couple couple hours a week. So by the time I was senior, he would moved over to the VP for development office, said he would still be available. He knew I wasn't ready for the workforce. I was still a screwed up kid. <laughs> I was so screwed up. And he would give me homework assignments. So, and I went to get back the next week and, and next time and, and, and we'd go over them. And he had given me this homework to talk about um, something I, what I want to do versus what I was thinking. It was just something, some kind of comparison thing. And we were going over that. He asked me a question. I can't tell you today what the question was. Don't even remember. Somewhere out of the clear blue, out of my head, comes this, I'm staring at the, the weave of his carpet. And all I said is, well, when society tells you not to, and I kind of, my voice kind of trailed off. That's all I said. And he just looked at me and said, Sue, did your parents hurt you? And I said, no, not them. Then he said, somebody else? Yeah. What happened? I didn't know it was going to come out. <laughs> I didn't have, I, it was not on my mind. It was just time for it to birth itself. Uh, and, you know, obviously I'm crying a little bit. I, I don't even remember how exactly I told him. And, uh, you know, he, he, he said, he, he did comment saying he wished he had known sooner that it answered a lot of questions. I'm sure it did. <laughs> and um, I remember walking back from his office, back to the student union. And I felt like I had a scarlet letter on my forehead, like everybody knew. And then I asked him to, he had asked if I had told my counselor because there was somebody in town I was seeing at the counseling center. And I said, no. And he said, he said I think you need to. So I thought, I was thinking about it. I had an appointment there the next week. And I, I called Ed a day or two later, asked if he would go with me. And he agreed to go with me. And, and even then, I was shadow boxing with Evan, the, 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 the counselor there. And, and Ed called me on the carpet about it. And I finally told my story then, too. Um, but, you know, when, when it first came out, I didn't know what came out. Certainly didn't know it was going to come out. And I don't even know why it came out. It wasn't related to what we were talking about, but it was time. That's the bottom line is it was time. All the questions I have for right now, Jackson. Okay. <laughs> no, no, you were good. I think you, you asked some some amazing questions and, and, and questions that, frankly, I didn't even think of. So I'm super happy to have you here, Chelsea, and, and, and to ask all of those. So, um, very, very powerful. Uh, I also want to make sure that uh, in case Jason or Kristen, if they have anything that they want to chime in with, I didn't want to just take on over with anything. Yeah. Uh, Please. I have a couple of questions. Sure. Uh, first of all, I, I'm just uh, in amazement. Um, for somebody to have the strength and, and bravery like you have is an amazing thing to witness in a person. And thank you for coming on and, and sharing your story with us. It's amazing. And I loved what you said about um, not asking for an apology or forgiveness when you're emotional, um, just being able to say like, please understand. I've never heard that before, but oh my gosh, that's so impactful. And I just, I just loved that. Um, so I guess my question is at what part in your journey did your faith come in into your life? I guess was that part of 
you know, when you first told your story? You know what, as I think about that, as you asked me that question, there might be a correlation that I never made until the second. I came to Christ May 31st, 1985, the summer before my senior year of college. And it was, I, I told Ed about maybe a couple months before graduation. So maybe there is some kind of correlation there of, of just the Holy Spirit saying, okay, you know, you're mine, so we're going to get to work. Um, yeah, I may not have realized it then. I, I can tell you it's been the driving force behind everything now. Um, I can tell you that um, part of being a survivor is that um, I've been suicidal twice. I dabbled in cutting at one point in time uh, when we were first dealing with everything with my counselor. And um, you know, my parents divorced after 34 years of marriage, so he had that mixed in on top of everything. Uh, and my brother had a drunk driving accident. He spent 18 months in prison back in 20, 2013 to 2014. You know, so, so we have there's all kinds of stuff going on. And um, I, I, I feel safe saying, I don't think I'd be here without Christ. I think I would have, uh, ended my life by then. When my parents were divorcing, there were only two things keeping me alive and two thoughts. The first, I was rational enough to know and tell myself that my family didn't need to go to my funeral in the middle of the divorce. And then the only other thought was there was what I call nagging optimism there was something that would not let me go and and it was it was there was something telling me it was going to be okay and it was christ it is the only way to describe it um he has used a lot of people in the process you know certainly ed when i didn't even know um I worked at a sports camp called Canacuck Sports Camp out in, in Missouri. And through that, met a number of friends who happen to be Christian musicians. One of them in particular has had a very pivotal point, pivotal role in my life, and that was Billy Sprague. Again, the story I talk, and when I, should I speak, I share the story too. And we were on a ski discipleship trip, and it was uh, right when mom and dad were divorcing. Billy's fiance had been killed a few years prior on, on a way to surprise him at a concert. He found out right before he went on stage. So he had gone through a bunch of, you know, obviously knee deep in depression. I later found out that he, he was suicidal as, as well. Mm -hmm. And we had lost contact. We reconnected on the ski trip. And I told him, I need to learn from something you've gone through. So we talked the last day on the, on the slopes. And we ended up talking about almost probably close to an hour and a half. And he said, what's going on? And I said, how do you go on living when all you want to do is die? And, uh, you know, he's like, well, what's going on? And we talked. And he, he shared, this, he said a lot of things, but um, the one thing that really stuck with me was a story he shared that when he was going through it, he had a friend that challenged him to watch his shoes. And he, he was in the airport a lot traveling the gigs and he watched his shoes and every step, tell himself, I'm one step closer. I made another step. I can do this. I'm going to get there. And at the end, he said, that's all I know to tell you, Sue, step by step. And that has stuck with me. That's actually where my business name, My Step Ahead, came from. Or one of the places my, my name came from. Um, and it's also you know, why the Rich Mullins song, Step by Step, is so precious to me. Um, so he had me watch my shoes on the way down the ski slope, my boots. And I told him, I said, my I'm watching my shoes, and I'm like, the first thought that went through my mind was, it is a long journey, and I'm not going to make it. And here I am, literally 30 years later, 
you know, and now I'm sharing the same story with others. Um, none of that would have been possible. None of that would have been possible. My counselor is a Christian. And, um, you know, when, when I wanted to quit, we could have some, some spiritual discussions on things. And uh, my, my, personal, my personal driving force became a mantra, whatever word you want to call it, um, was a, a meaningful level of tolerable existence was no longer an option. And when, every time I wanted to quit, that's what I kept telling myself. And even when we were talking about, you know, she was like, you know, she had, there was one point in time I was ready to pull the plug. She's like, give me one more session. And then I said, you know what, Amanda, we both know what's going to happen. I'm going to end up right back here. If we don't, if we don't keep going now, I'm going to be back here in six months. So let's just, one more session isn't worth, isn't needed. Let's just keep going. You know, so it kind of just kept coming around because it was Christ. He wasn't letting me go. Wow. That's amazing. Um, I love the, and I, I have, I love analogies anyway, but I think it's especially meaningful for someone when they're going through uh, a difficult time, you know, it's hard to think outside of your head and try to grasp control of your emotions and your feelings and, you know, tell yourself, okay, cut it out. But when you, you know, use an analogy, like look at your feet and you're going one step further. Um, that's so it's simple, but that's so powerful. To, I feel like to give somebody the strength and at least the courage to see that they're making progress. Um, and Jason, one of Jason's therapists has said to me for years when I was trying to get him sober was, uh, you want progress, not perfection. Um, so that kind of correlated that with Mm me. Um, I guess my other question is, did you ever, uh, confront Bobby or anything like that? I have not. Um, Amanda, my counselor, and I have talked about this a couple of times. At one point in time, I was considering going, I, I was raised down in Dayton, Ohio. I was considering, this years ago, um, going back and filing a, a police report, knowing that it was well beyond the statute of limitations. It was just part of the healing journey we were talking about. Um, I ended up not doing that. Um, I, I don't feel the need to do that now, but um, I feel like... It, I've wondered at times if I ran into him, you know, kind of what that would be like. Um, I don't know if I have a good answer for that. I, 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 I do feel strong enough that if I saw him, I could, he may not even remember. I don't even know. I remember. And I could at least say, and it would be hard. I would put it that way. It would be hard, but, um, and emotional. And I, some of the anger would probably still come out. Even though I don't feel angry, I think at that moment it would probably come out a little bit, rightfully so. Um, sure. But I think at the same time, I would want to tell him something that I have had to work through. And that is that I forgive him. And that is, took a long time to get there. A whole long time. And, and I've realized that uh, forgiveness isn't a one and done deal. And I used to think it was, and it kind of keeps, keeps creeping up and you got, it's that living sacrifice, you know, it likes to keep crawling off the altar and you got to nail it back up there again. Um, because one thing Amanda and I have talked and through all the healing, I I'm to the point now where I can actually have compassion towards Bobby. And, and that sounds really weird to a lot of people. And, and again, 
only because of my relationship with Christ can I even think of being at this place because it goes against all other societal norms. But if you think about it, back in the 70s, how would a seven-year-old boy know anything about anything, biology, rape, and everything else, if he wasn't exposed to it himself somehow? And, And that took a long time to be able to see it from that perspective too. But when I let God deal with me and take care of my hurt, and I gave it to him, that opened up my heart and my mind to be able to then look at it from the other angle as well. It doesn't change anything that happened. It doesn't change it, never will. But, and I don't like using the word but, <laughs> in addition to that, it allows me to deepen my heart and my perspective and just demonstrate that it is possible to have compassion on your attacker. Doesn't mean you let him off the hook. Doesn't mean that you act as if it never never happened. Doesn't mean it wasn't wrong. Everything was dead wrong that day. Everything was wrong that day. Everything Bobby did was wrong. But he's got to answer to God, not me. Yeah, wow. I mean, I think all of that is... I mean, you you said it, Kristen. It's just amazingly powerful. Um, I, what a what a story, uh, Jason. I want to kick it on over to you for a sec, um, uh, in case you might have any questions or any anything that you'd like to uh, to discuss. Um, <clears throat> it's such a powerful story, hearing it from somebody. that I, I had a similar experience with my childhood and, and growing up and except I took I took a different path of acting out and getting in trouble and um, not dealing with it and drugs and alcohol and somebody that was strong enough to not go down that path is amazing um your story's inspiring. So, um, I don't have a whole lot of questions. Um, still kind of feeling under, under the weather, so I apologize. Um, but turn it back over to you, Jackson. You're good, man. You're good. I, I just, I just want to make sure you know, we, can, we went all around the table, you know, <laughs> but that we're doing good. But, but, uh, but Sue, I kind of want to transition over to, uh, your eating disorder. Um, uh, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, me and Chelsea, we were actually on a podcast, and and, uh, and our listeners will know it just came out right before this one, um, where we had a friend of hers on uh, talking about her eating disorder. So I'm I'm, I'm curious uh, if maybe you would uh, talk to us about that for a bit. Sure. And actually, I was going to um, jump in at Jason. Um, oh, yeah, please, I appreciate yeah. your yeah, I appreciate your comments. Um, I may not have gone down a path of of alcohol or drugs. It doesn't mean I didn't numb out. Um, and actually it's a perfect segue because my eating disorder is how I numbed out. That was my, that is my addiction. An eating disorder is an addiction. 
it just comes out in a different way. So, um, so I, I am in recovery. Um, it has not been an easy process, uh, but here I am, and I'm, I'm doing all right. I uh, just met my dietitian last night, actually. So, in terms Fantastic. of eating, yeah, yeah, I, I just, and I've only been in recovery four years with that. Go well, April will be five. I'm sorry, July will be five. Um, so, about the eating disorder, um, I have what, and and I appreciate you asking that because I got into the whole speaking thing as an eating disorder awareness advocate, okay. and it, it has morphed into a mental health. You know, speaker, um, and this all kinds of stuff. Um, my eating disorder is, is it has a new name. It's called OSFED, and it stands for Other Specified Feeding and Eating Disorder. And a lot of people think that there's like three eating disorders: anorexia, bulimia, and overeating, or you know, binge eating. Uh, and there are a multitude of eating disorders. The one I have basically means that I don't fit all the diagnostic criteria for anorexia or bulimia. Um, I have anorexic tendencies, but the, the, the diagnostic criteria of, you know, body weight and all these other things that, that the DSM lines out, I don't fall into those categories. So OSFA is kind of one of the catch-alls. Um, how that came into play for me is started in college. And I talked about how screwed up I was. This is where it kind of was all starting to come to head. And... Yeah, I was I was an angry girl, and, and it's actually interesting because when I was in eighth grade, you know, you sign out, sign your little class yearbook and everything, and class pictures. Yeah, there, there was still a, a girl named Monica Huseman who uh, Huseman, and she signed my book, and she signed it to the girl who's always mad. And I did not know how insightful that was going to be, and, and I probably still have it somewhere. So, and I think of that because it shows me a good comparison from there to now and that a lot of stuff was showing that I didn't know about. So then you add in high school and then you get to college, which is already a hotbed of stress. And my eating disorder happened because um, I started feeling uncomfortable. For me, I went to Defiance College, which is in Northwest Ohio. Small college, 800 to 1,000 people, you know, a few, few blocks wide, uh, residential. And, and I was over-involved. One of the ways that I numbed out was through activity. And I was, you name it, I was involved in it. My, my was it senior year? Junior year. Junior year. Um, I coordinated three major campus events. I did homecoming. I did the winter formal. And then I did an 18-hour dance-a-thon. And I was running all three of them while taking a full load, if not overload, of classes and being in so many other activities. So I was not a poster child of taking care of yourself. And I don't recommend it to anybody. So, yeah. and, and, and because I would then, I would start my homework at 10 o'clock at night till 2 o'clock in the morning, get up at 6, be first in line for breakfast at 7.15, take my classes, be done at 2. And I worked two campus jobs. So I was working 20 hours a week. So I, and then do my activities. So I don't recommend it to anybody. All that to say that that's how the numbing started. And when I speak, the way I phrase it is kind of like a little formula. If I didn't, if I stayed busy, I didn't have to think. And if I didn't have to think, I didn't have to feel. And if I didn't have to feel, I didn't have to deal with my stuff because my stuff hurt and I didn't want to deal with it. So that's kind of how it all started. The eating came into play because at the, on campus there was one dining hall. And you had, you know, there were certain windows for the meals. If you missed that window, you missed the meal. So like I said, I'd be there eating. But I didn't really, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was involved in a lot, but I didn't have a lot of connections. So I would eat by myself a lot. 
And over time, the paranoia just started taking over. Because again, what I said earlier, if you start off track, the longer you go, the further off track you get. Yeah. So my brain wasn't thinking right after the rape. And it's rewiring itself to help me cope and learning to shut down. So then I'm further and further and further and further off, car, off guard or off track. So by the time I get to college, I'm not thinking right. And I've got all this other stuff going on. So my, my brain was just really screwed up. So I remember being in dining hall. And while I may have enjoyed another serving and I was hungry, to me, be admitting that I was hungry meant admitting a need. And because I had lived with a mask for so long that Sue has it all together and Sue is the strong one and Sue doesn't have any needs, God forbid somebody see me go up for another plate of food because then Sue was going to be found out and Sue didn't want to be found out. So instead, I learned to shut off my hunger. I dumped my my tray and I got out of Dodge. And then I learned to snack in between to curb my hunger. So... That's kind of how it all started. Um, and I didn't call it, I always called it odd eating behaviors or anorexic tendencies, but I never really called it an eating disorder. And to, um, really until, it would have been 2005. That's five, 2008. Um, how it all started was, um, yeah, I'd been out of counseling for a while, and it seemed like everything was fine, so I was out for a while, a number of years. And then 2005, a friend of mine passed away from stage 4 breast cancer. Mm. And some of my red flags that would come up kind of started coming up again. Of And one, one big one for me is I open the refrigerator door, and I get overwhelmed because there's too many choices or whatever. And, and I can't, so I, I shut the door. I'm like, I just shut off my hunger. I can't deal with this. I'm just going to, I'll snack. Yeah. And that was coming up a lot. So I kind of been through it, you know, again, the tendencies and everything was fine. So I, I started noticing tendencies again. So I mentioned it to my pastor, he gave me the name of Amanda. Um, he met Amanda because after his wife died, two of his girls developed eating disorders and had to go to residential treatment out in Arizona. So he gave me Amanda's name. And even then, um, I was in denial about it. I might have called it, you know, oh, yeah, I got an eating disorder, you know, or, or she's an eating disorder specialist. Um, but I still wasn't really buying that I had an eating disorder. You know, it was, it was still, I wasn't buying into the depth of it and the severity of it. And um, for a number of years, Amanda said, you know, Amanda, as we talked about since, she said, we had to get me stronger in the present so we could deal with the past. I had boundary issues like crazy because again my voice didn't matter I had nothing to offer I didn't matter so all that was still coming into play as recent as you know 10 12 years ago um, so as as we started digging into it um, there there was one time she actually she she was on me about gaining weight because I was not at a healthy weight um, and um, she, she, she point blank said, she's like, I think you need to be in treatment. She's like, and I'm talking inpatient or intensive outpatient. And, and she knew I had to work because, again, I had masks, I had secrets, and mom didn't know. And I was li- mom was living with me and, you know, the whole deal. We were living together in an apartment, and I had to work. And so she gave me one last chance. She said, I'm giving you one last chance. Prove yeah. to me. And we haven't had a discussion since. Um, now, in 2016, 2014, we were dealing with the rape. 2016 is when I really started dealing with my emotions for the first time. 
Okay. And that's when we got a dietitian involved. Even then, it was about a five-week argument. <laughs> more, more, more of her saying and me arguing and me losing. Uh, gotcha. actually, I, actually, I won. Um, she, had, she had suggested dietitian a number of times. I blew it off every time. This time, she wasn't relenting because my eating, it, the behaviors were starting to come back. And um, I'm so glad, so glad she was so tenacious. So glad. Um, recovery has been, it's been a challenge. You know, my first meeting with my dietitian was her asking about a hundred questions and wow. okay. yeah, it, just, just intakes all was just questions. And then, um, came back and she gave me my, my, my meal plan. And yeah, I just wasn't really sure what was going on. I remember crying when she gave it to me. She asked what I thought about that. I said, that sounds like an awful lot of food. And now it's like not a problem, but, um, you know, I, I, I didn't think that at that point in time. Um, so that when I started with Kristen as my dietitian, when I started with her, you know, she gave me homework, made goals each week. And, 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 and for the first number of weeks, especially the first week, she said, right now, all I want you to do is when you're hungry, eat. That's it. That's all I want you to do. All I want you to focus on when you're hungry, eat. And then we started just with breakfast of trying to, to work up to my meal plan. Um, my meal plan is based off the diabetic exchange system. And okay. I don't know if you're familiar with that at all, where you have certain, certain servings of carbs, fats, and proteins for each meal. And it's based on the, 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 uh, the serving size label on, 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 a, food, on a food package. Mm -hmm. And then they convert it and everything. Um, so for me, breakfast is three servings of carbs, three servings of fats, three servings of proteins. And... How that comes into play for me is I'll do a cup of 4% milk fat cottage cheese. I'll do maybe a Pop-Tart, a single Pop-Tart, not a package, a single Pop-Tart, and, and then like a, a, a single pack of oatmeal. And that gets me everything I need. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and you know, we started working up to that. But first, I had to start realizing my hunger cues. And that's all she was wanting me to work on because I had learned to shut off my hunger. Right. And when I was hungry, I, I snapped. So we just wanted me to start tying the fact that my mind tells me I'm hungry to it's okay to eat. I don't have to snack. I can eat and take care of myself. Um, where things, you know, kind of went from there. We, again, we first started dealing with breakfast and then we kind of started building up to breakfast and lunch. And then we kind of started throwing things in from there. Um, you know, recently, you know, the main thing we're working on right now is more fruits and vegetables because they're pretty much non-existent. Uh, so for the last three weeks or so, I, I've done really, she actually told me last night, she's like, I'm really happy for you. So I'm really, I'm really happy and excited for you. Uh, because, you know, the, the, I, I, I'm liking the fruits and vegetables. I'm In particular, I'm liking the strawberries. Uh, they're really good. They're very juicy. And then she's like, that's great. And I actually threw out the goal last night to add the vegetables of starting to, starting to build in a side salad. And, and, and by summertime, we want to try to build that. I want to try to build that up to maybe being able to fix like a, a grilled chicken salad to take to work. And she's like, okay, that's great. Let's just start with something small. Sure. Yeah. Cause up to now it's been, okay, I'm either doing grapes or strawberries or carrots with lunch or something like that. So at least we're starting somewhere. But I told her, I said, if I'm going to do this, I want it to be, I want it to stick. This isn't just a flash in the pan. Sure. Um, so, you know, so, so we did all that. What, what really hit me, a couple key points with, with eating disorder recovery was she continually talked about my eating disorder voice. And I was like, what do you mean? And, and she kept, 
continually saying, you are not your eating disorder. And all along, I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, I am. <laughs> that's all I know. It's, that's what's flying around in my head here. Um, and, and over time, you know, she talked about how you know, some people give the eating disorders names to help separate yourself from it. So I named mine Ed. Which sounds weird because Ed Highland is my dean of students, but this is a different Ed. Uh, so <laughs> I, I named it Ed, you know, and, and what I started realizing is as I started to eat properly, as I started to take care of my body, my brain started to get clear. And I still remember the day at work where I, I was I was in getting in the refrigerator and sure enough, you know, the oh, just shut the door and snack was going through my head because I was like it just it just hit and I said Ed shut up and I said it out loud and I what? made myself choose to get a yogurt or something whatever it was I was getting in that moment and I started realizing I'm not that thought is not me I am separate of that thought that thought is my eating disorder voice trying to scream at me in a really loud whisper and the more that I started verbally calling it out by name and just saying, Ed, shut up. It, and then the second part is do exactly the opposite of what it's telling you to do. Those two paired together helped me realize that it, it separated myself from my eating disorder. What I had been meshed together and swallowed in suddenly became this, and I could start seeing it for what it was. And then I could start making better decisions about it. And, you know, it doesn't mean it doesn't come back and whisper now. Um, this last week I was struggling one day and I told her that I really had to fight through, but I did. Um, but when, what I've learned since is that and when, when I speak, I, I tell people, I said, I'm going to get on, get on a soapbox here for a minute because I don't buy into this low carb, no carb crap. And like I said, I'm, I'm going to be very, 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 very blunt in my, in my language here because carbs are the only thing that give your brain energy. So when I speak, I say, why on God's green earth would we deny our bodies the functioning the way it was designed to? Fats are the only thing that will give you the sensation of feeling full and they also protect your vital organs. Everybody needs a certain degree of fat. And then protein is the one thing that rebuilds your muscle and, and rebuilds your strength. So if the body is designed to need all three of those in balance, in you know, moderation is key if you want to use that. If you if your the body is designed to need those, why do we think we can deny it and still function? Right. So that, and, and that's toned down soapbox. Uh, but that's one of the points <laughs> that, that, that anytime I speak, I bring and people are like, oh, I didn't know that. Neither did I. But now that I know I have an obligation and responsibility to share that respectfully with others as appropriate. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. Yeah, that's uh, that makes that makes perfect sense. You know, why would you just uh, if, if we're designed to be in a certain way, you know, and designed to take in a certain amount uh, of each thing, then, you know, there's no way we can cope without uh you know, uh, not a certain amount of, of one ingredient. Um, right. but, but Chelsea, I, I saw your cue getting ready, <laughs> ready for that. What's uh, up, Chelsea? Uh, what's, what's going on? Okay. First off, that was just me rearranging because <laughs> I had a very bad fall a couple of weeks ago where I brewed, uh, probably about 50% of my body. Oh, no longer 15. I am almost 30. <laughs> I did not remember that. No. <laughs> 
um, it was pretty fun. Um, so I'm not too terribly sorry about it. I was trying to slide down a snowy hill on a yoga mat standing yeah. Oh, standing up. Ouch. Yeah. Thank goodness I got it on video. (laughs) Uh, Landed directly on my tailbone. Probably the only reason I didn't break my neck. So I'm grateful for that. Um, It's been a painful recovery, but I can't sit still for very long. But I do have more questions, obviously. Uh, Always. Um, So I'm curious, you know, you talked about being a life coach. um, That was kind of brought in the the beginning with the bio and I've kind of intermittently spoken about it. Um, What kind of, and I feel like I may know the answer being a believer myself, but what kind of brought you to the decision that you you had this redemption story of what Christ had done in your life and, and the hope restored in your life? What what uh, development kind of pushed you to going out there and helping others? <laughs> um, that kind of gets to the whole retreat story um, because, and because and it all ties together at the end um, because you, know, you have a really good feel of what my life was like and, and how screwed up my head was and um, how desperate I was. That's the bottom line is I was desperate. And I was desperate for love, and I didn't know where to find it. Desperate to be accepted. Desperate to know that it was okay to not be okay. Because it was screaming inside me, and I was still shutting it off because I didn't believe it. It's what I wanted, and I didn't know where to find it. And I I was getting to a desperate point. Excuse me. So um, 2014, there was a movie come out called Ragamuffin. And it was based mm-hmm. on the life of Rich Mullins. And I think, are you familiar with Rich Mullins? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Chelsea's raising. Chelsea, Chelsea's, uh, she knows. <laughs> okay. Uh, are you familiar with the song Awesome God? Our God is an awesome God? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's Rich. Um, so anyway, so a movie came out about Rich's life. He was killed in 1997 in a car wreck. I watched the movie and uh, saw it with my mom and a number of friends and, and saw it a number of times. And it was a hard watch, especially the first time. There's a lot of silent wiping of the tear because, again, you know, I got the masks on and mom can't know that something's striking home. And uh, so that summer, 2014, the movie producer and the friends and family of Rich who were involved in, in the movie decided to do a retreat to t- continue talking about the themes of the movie, about reckless faith, about family relationships, about being authentic and and being vulnerable and not wearing masks and those kind of things and and it took a number of weeks until i signed on because i was supposed to be in nashville to visit some friends and there was something that nagging optimism kind of was coming back again and i finally relented signed up for it and one of the key things about these retreats is what's called walking stick retreats now and they open up a facebook group just for the people going on that retreat and so you have about first two weeks of just getting to know each other so this first retreat obviously you know the whole movie is talking about brokenness and everything so you're going to get people who are drawn to that who are drawn to i've been burned by the church i've been burned by other people and and, and this is what i want is it possible you know we're all kind of coming there searching so everybody's in the room this first retreat they've done they're sharing their stories it took about two or three days of me reading other people's stories and responding to them before I finally bit the bullet. 
And 4.30 in the morning, I'm out in the dining room, got a pot of coffee on, and I'm typing. And this is the first time I've publicly shared my story about Bobby. First time. I hadn't told anybody, you know. And, and, And I was just, I was, my throat, my heart was in my throat. I was convinced, again, I was the holy exception. Nobody was gonna care. They were gonna tell me it was all my fault. And I gulped like crazy when I hit send, and I waited all day long waiting for the ridicule to come. And I was checking Facebook so often and not a single comment negative was made. It, other than, you know, was, the comments were about bravery and courage and, and, and thank you and all those things. That told me it was a safe place. <clears throat> so the retreat staff knew I was coming in. Uh, one retreat staff in, in particular, and I'll circle back to the life coach because this is actually the same person that got me in life coaching. Um, told me that later told me that that she she called it that the retreat was kind of a a, a hail mary pass for me to believe that god could actually love me and that his kids would find me lovable um so that first retreat started something in me i went in calling myself a holy exception the holy exception and then three days later left saying for the first time and starting to believe that Jesus Christ is absolutely crazy about me. And he not only loves me, he likes me. Um, so that started things. Each, Amanda and I spent six weeks getting ready for that retreat. My brother had been released from prison. And, and what challenged me, and I think I've told him this, I did, is that you know people are like, man, Scott, you've been gone for so long, where you been? And he's like, I've been in prison. And he was so open about his story. And I'm like, why can't I do that? And so I looked at Amanda and and when I finally told her I was doing this and I said, I looked at her very forlorn and said, I I just want to be authentic. And, and, And I said, get me ready. And we had six weeks to get me ready to deal with all the fears and the hesitations and everything. And we, we, were, we, were, we were smart, we planned ahead, we kind of expected a bump and she wanted to know about it. We had set afterwards, it, we'd already set up a two hour session for after, my, after I returned. So I could just go tell things. We've, she has since said we easily got a six month bump every time I went to retreat, every time. And they had a retreat each year after that. So each year built on the next for me with my, with my healing journey. And I went from that first year, I, I just had to own my story because I was in denial about it. I didn't like the part about Bobby. I didn't like any of my story. I was in denial about it and I had to just accept it. And then the next year I had to grieve my story. So all these emotions that have been pent up for decades between Bobby and then through college with the eating disorder, all the way through grad school, all the way through my career and everything, were still pent up. And then they started coming out. So I had to start grieving my story. And the grieving started at the retreat. Next year, it was called The Disappointing Messiah and talked about how, at first I'm like, God, it's not disappointing. But then talked about how, talked about expectations. And disappointment comes when our expectations are not met, that we're the one that moves, not God. So that one was the pivotal one, where I call what I had a sacred moment of release. And then each year continued to build on it from there. 2016, my nugget walked away. I still have the rock over there on my shelf. So I am valuable to God. That is when I started to believe that I had a story to tell. It took three years of retreats to get me to that point. And that was just the starting point. Um, 
I do say quickly when I share about retreats, one, I love sharing that story. I try to share it every time I can. But it's also very important to know that there is nothing magical about these retreats. What happens there is simply because the staff gets out of the way of God and they set the atmosphere of love and acceptance and non-judgmentalism so the Holy Spirit can do his job. What happens to those retreats is the Holy Spirit, not humans. Now, the people that do these retreats are David Mullins, who is Rich Mullins' youngest brother, Kathy Sprinkle, who was Kathy Sprinkle, Beth Leeds, and Sam Howard, who were with Rich uh, when he had Zion Ministries, knew him in college. Um, Beth, it, Sam was his roommate. Beth was the one that got the music in front of the Nashville execs, and Kathy Sprinkle was his best friend, little sister from another mother, and um, she was the tour manager for the Awesome God Tour. So we have people who are new rich and had been doing retreats and knew his desire and his heart for community. So the movie re- re-energized that, and that is the whole, whole spirit behind these. Damon is also on staff, and Damon knew Rich for years and, you know, the whole deal. Um, so these are literally his family and friends. So each year has built on the next, and each year, you know, I come away with another, another nugget. In terms of when I finally felt like I could share the story to get going to life coaching, that is where it started. Because then I started to realize that, again, 2016, the, piv- the most, piv- most pivotal year when I realized that I am valuable to God. That was until you, you think, until you start believing that you have value, you don't want to say anything because you don't believe it's going to be heard and that it's not, you believe it's not going to matter. So that was the, the big year for me. Um, since then, you know, I started writing the book. Uh, the book started out with, with one angle. It kind of morphed into more telling my story. And um, just last year, um, it, it, through, through the book and then you know, through, through the eating disorder recovery, I started speaking. And, and I started out talking to, to his classes. And then there's a state conference where I present each year for Ohio College Personnel Association. It's actually this week. I'm actually presenting again on Friday. Very cool. Doing, doing a seminar on self-awareness this year. And um, so anyway, so with that, um, as I started speaking more, when the book came out, Sprinkle contacted me last year and said, have you thought about going to life coaching? She said, it seems kind of where you're going. I said, nope. What is it? <laughs> and and, and, and I, if anything, I kind of had a negative opinion, kind of thinking that sounds kind of snake oilish, because I come from a counseling therapy angle. And, you know, so I just really wasn't sure until I started doing the research. And then, you know, talking with Sprinkle about it and talking with Amanda about it and kind of, you know, working through my questions and my hesitations and everything. And a lot of it was just praying about it. And the more I prayed and researched and thought about it and talked about it, it just became a compulsion. You know how it is when God's got something on your heart, you cannot run from it. So I, I found a program last year uh, where I got it's a, a three-day intensive program called Certified Life Coach Institute. They do three days online, in-person, practicums, the whole deal. Uh, it is ICF, which is International Coach Federation accredited. So it's a global accreditation, which is one, if I was going to do it, I was going to do it high level. Um so I became a certified life coach last April. And then last August, I took their master life coach certification, which is level two. And, um, you know, I do have, I opened up a coaching business last year. Uh, it's, it's, it's off and run and I've got four clients. So I'm excited about that. And um, it's, it's fun. 
But what I enjoy most is watching the life change in people. And, 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 and you guys can gonna, gonna, relate to this. When you're in the groove God has for you, you just feel it. And, and it's not work. And there's a joy to it. And there's just, I, 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 I want to learn more so I can help other people more. And that's the groove. It's the groove it has become for me. Uh, it kind of it kind of all ties together with the coaching and the speaking and the writing. Um, but it's all because of what God did in me all throughout my entire story, but especially 2014 to 2020 through those retreats. You know, I look back now, it's only been six years. If you had told me in 2014 I'd be doing this, I would laugh you off the face of the earth because I didn't matter because my voice didn't deserve to be heard because I had nothing to offer. And those were all lies straight from the pit. And it was simply the love of God's kids that let the Holy Spirit permeate my walls. Behind my shoulder, you'll see a quote from Rich Mullins hanging on my wall. And it says, it's not gonna matter if you have a few scars. It'll matter if you didn't live. And what I talk about and I share when I speak and write and whatever, is the, story, the, the, the power of scars. A lot of us try to hide our scars. You know, Chelsea, if you fell, fell and cut yourself, you know, on, on your trip in trip recently, you know, you might be hovering there, oh, I don't want that reminder. I don't want, you know, I don't want somebody asking what happened. I don't have to tell the story again. But if you think about it, a scar is a sign of hope. All of us are wounded. All of us have wounds. And at some point in time, they bleed. It might be just a scraped knee where it's not real, it's just kind of superficial. It might be a little deeper where you need a band-aid. It might be a gash where you need some stitches. And it might be something even worse than that. But all of us have wounds. And when that wound heals, it becomes a scar. A scar is a sign of hope for healing. So my the book is my healing journey. It talks about going from woundedness through the healing journey. To, find, to having scars and being able to talk about them. It's been a progress, it's a process. Um, and, and when I speak, I tell people, it, it, you know, there's no way around the healing mountain. You have to go through it. And nobody can do it for you. But I can tell you that now I'm on the other side. It is so worth it. So worth it. And coaching allows me the privilege of walking through that mountain with somebody else. So awesome. You know, it's funny that you brought that, you know, the analogy of scars up because when, you know, Jason and Kristen, you know, came to me and started talking about wanting to do a podcast and, and wanting to start getting our message as a foundation, Jason's message as someone in recovery, you know, all of ours, you know, as board members of this foundation and, and really our sole purpose is to help others and carry the message of Christ and what he's done in our lives. And um, we were talking about music for the intro and it actually started because I, I one day sent Kristen a song and I said, I feel like this is you and Jason's song together. And it's uh, by a Christian band called I Am They. And it ended up becoming our intro song to the podcast shows. Um, and the lyric says, so I'm thankful for the scars because without them, I wouldn't know your heart. And I know they'll always tell us of who you are. So I'm forever thankful for the scars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it's, you know, you know, Jason and I talk about it all the time, you know, of what the past, you know, there's a saying in recovery, we don't shut the past nor, you know, shut the door on the past. Um, 
because we want to remember that it's there. It's made us who we are. It's not yeah. just define us. It's not um, our, our makeup of who we are, but it definitely has developed us into who we are today. Right. And, um, you know, those scars remind us of that. They're a badge of honor, um, you know, for me, um, as well as a lot of people in recovery, I would say. So I think that it's beautiful that, that that's kind of the way that you, you look at it too. Cause it's, it's such a, you know, even being believers, you know, look at what the scars on the hands of Christ represented for us. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's a symbol of not just hope, but love and, and redemption, um, you know, of him conquering the grave. And I, I think that that's just such a beautiful reminder of how to live life. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Very much so. And, and it, it, it's a paradigm shift. It, you know, thinking of scars as, as you said, a badge of honor. Um, you know, it, it, it's, it's an honor because we get to tell the story of Christ. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that that's where the honor comes from, is that he's entrusted that with us. And now we have that responsibility to, to be that herald trumpet for him. But it's like he loved me so much that he gave me this story to share and yeah. be an instrument. And his, you know, I, I have clients come tell me all the time, thank you so much for what you did in my recovery and early recovery, being residential. And my response every time, it's almost just kind of automatic is I, that wasn't me. I got to be an instrument in your story and I got to be used by God. And that is beyond anything I could ever do. Um, So think that he loves me that much, Mm -hmm. you know, that he would want to use me. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. It it is. And and some people won't understand. What do you mean? God let you have this. God let me be raped. And, And that was something that Amanda and I really had to deal with a lot. Because there was a whole bunch of feeling abandoned by God. Where was he? And why did he let this happen? If he's in control, why didn't he stop it? And, and you know, I, I went through a time where, um, you know, as we were kind of visualizing, kind of playing it out, I feel like God, and back up, God hijacks my journal. You know, I might be writing something and God just starts hijacking it and it kind of literally becomes a message from God, first person, the whole deal. And that's just how he, how he communicates with me. And one of the things that happened, you know, during this time where I was struggling with this, it was like God just kind of took over one day and said, I was there, Sue. I saw it all. And I was waiting for you because I love you. I did not abandon you. And, and, and that was so powerful and comforting. Now, I still struggled with, why'd you let it happen? Um, you know, but, but I also realized that, um, you know, theology, if you want to get into that, is we live in a fallen world. And that God does not keep us from the consequences of sin. Now, I did not sin that day in terms of anything that happened. Not knowingly, but, but what I mean by sin is that, you know, fallen nature, so lost people act lost. And the sin nature obviously corrupts people. So, you know, Bobby's, whatever experience Bobby had was sin that affected his life, that then affected his behavior, which then affected me. So that's what I mean, and, and, and I don't want to get too much into the theology of, you know, everything like that, but that's what I mean is, is that, you know, because we're fallen, none of us are perfect, so therefore we're going to have issues, and whatever issue is allowed and happens in our lives isn't, doesn't mean God's not in control. 
it's, it's, it's part of, I don't even say power of the plan. It, it can just get really dicey in this area, but all, all the, yeah, 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 we all understand. Um, but all that to say is that God did not let the rape happen. Bobby made his choice. God leaves us to our choices, but God also provides the way out of those choices. And God allowed me a way out, not just physically that day, but emotionally has allowed me a way out of the emotional choice to either stay trapped in it all or to do the hard healing work. The same way he's offered the same option of, of grace and, and healing for Bobby. For all I know, Bobby's a believer in my brother in Christ right now. Wouldn't that be a cool story? I, I don't know. But what I'm saying is that God has provided a way out and that we're all human. We all screw up. So it's not so much he didn't allow it to happen to me. He knew it was happening and he was ready to redeem it. And he used it for his glory. Exactly. And, and that's before we started this, that was, that's my prayer is like, Lord, you know, be glorified. Use it. Use it for your glory, because that is what this is all about. This is not about me. I don't want it to be about me. It's about him. It's about his power to heal and restore and redeem. And I simply get to tell the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. That is uh, absolutely amazing. And, and, and uh, again, like I said, thank, you know, we've said this a couple of times, but thank you for coming on and, and telling us the story. Um, I'm not sure how much time you got left if we're, if we're on a clock or anything, but uh, I wanted, you're good. good. Well, before, before we wrapped up, I wanted to, um, uh, ask, uh, maybe get a few minutes from you and talk about exactly all that you're doing now with my step ahead, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and, 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 and starting that up and, uh, and, and, you know, becoming the life coach and doing the things that you were doing. Um, uh, what's going on with you right now? How, how, you know, how, how, uh, how are you being an instrument today? Oh, wow. What a great question. Um, you know, I, I, I'm only a year out of, of the life coaching, uh, not even a year actually. So, um, yeah, it, it is exciting for me. Um, I think for me you know, to back up to the, my step ahead thing. Yeah. My, my step ahead start, it actually started in 2015. I, I was in the course of changing churches. And this is, again, right in the midst of the brokenness, right as, right as the egg was all starting to crack. And, and I went to a church that uh, I, I, I have described as, as a church full of ragamuffins. And it was okay to be mm-hmm. broken there. Um, and it was okay to, to want to heal there. So I was checking this church out. And, and uh, the pastor was doing a, a, a topic on, on uh, discipleship. And, and he did a lot of visualization. So he had a couple things across the stage um, to you know, show, show, show his analogies. And um, one of them was a rope. And he had people grab a rope and, and, and a couple people on stage. And, and he talked about, you know, what does it take? What does it take to help the person behind you? You know, we all think about we have to have it together. We have to have it figured out that I have to have my stuff together before I can be of help to somebody else, you know? And what he said is that all it takes to help the person behind you is to be a step ahead because you will have that much experience, that much more experience than the person behind you who's is asking you for help. And he had people kind of come up on stage and grab and grab the rope at different different points. And by the time everybody came in, we had a human change. So 
for me, my step ahead becomes I might be reaching ahead to Amanda, who still helps me, my counselor. I have her in a couple hours here tonight while I'm reaching back to help somebody behind me because I'm a step or two ahead of them. And together we have a human chain of support. That's what my step ahead is about, is that while I'm reaching out for help to someone who's ahead of me, I can still reach back and help the person behind me because I've gone through at least that much where I can help them, that we don't have to have it all together. It's okay to not be okay. Just because I've gone through some things doesn't mean I have to have every answer in the world before I can feel like, okay, now I got it figured out. I'm sitting on top. Now come to me for help. Yeah, no, it's not the way it works. I have experiences in my life that I wish would never happen to anybody else. Unfortunately, because of that sin nature, it's going to happen to somebody else. So I can now share my step ahead journey with someone who's a step or two behind. Maybe, and and let me say this, for someone who's listening, first of all, I should have said this early on, I pray you were not triggered. I hope that if there was some kind of trigger, that you were able to shut this off, engage in some self-care, and come back when you're ready. I apologize. I did not say that early on. I tried to put that out there early. So please forgive me for that. Having said that, it's going to happen to somebody else. And now I can share my experience for at least how far along I am from the fear and trepidation of telling somebody the first time to dealing with all of the emotions. And this isn't just about a rape. This could be about losing a parent or dealing, you know, what some people say, putting your life on hold to to help parent or something like that. It could be about anything. The bottom line is that we all have life experiences. And once as we have experienced them, now we can help somebody behind us. So that's where My Step Ahead came from, was first of all, the, the comment from my pastor. I started a website called My Step Ahead. Then the book came about. So then I kind of had that all going anyway. So then when I started life coaching, it just, it was a very natural tie-in to just call it My Step Ahead. Because, you know, that that's what I do. I, 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 I. Specifically, what I focus on is helping adults who feel stuck or confused in life transitions. And I help, I, I help them find clarity and courage so they can take their next step ahead so they can see their dreams be reality. Because that's what I have experienced, is that you don't have to wait till you're whatever age that someone else thinks you have it together that now your dream can happen. And your dream doesn't have to be out of reach. Like I said, if you told me in 2014 I'd be doing this, I'd laugh you off the face of the earth. And now I am living my dream. It is possible. So that's what my step ahead is about, is just helping people, helping stuck people get unstuck. I call myself a hope coach because nothing happens if you don't have hope. And when you're stuck, you tend to not have a lot of hope. So as we get, as we start digging in a little bit and seeing some movement, suddenly that hope comes up and they're like, okay, I can do this. Let's keep going. This is great. So... This is yeah. That's that's great. We got this. I love that analogy of a rope. I think that I think that works uh, uh, amazingly well in people's minds. You know, just because you know, if I'm, if I'm stretched out and I'm holding this rope, just because I don't have it all together right now, doesn't mean I can't reach out. Like you said, have somebody ask somebody who's a step ahead of me for help, and at the same time, kind of right. reach back. I think that works really well and resonates with me. Um, 
a lot. Um, uh, uh, but but uh, anyway, Chelsea or Kristen, do you guys have anything else that you? Uh, you this is y'all show. Y'all were just kind of on a roll. I was just letting you rock. So let's <laughs> just check in with you for at the end here. Oh, I'm sure I have a million more questions. I'm gonna find you on Facebook, and we're gonna Please have all kinds of conversations. But um, I just, I really appreciate, like I said in the beginning, um, you know, just five minutes in, I really appreciate you coming on and you know sharing your story not only with us, but you know, continuing to do so and you know being an instrument and using it for God's glory. Um, I, I think it's beautiful, and I love when I get to be a part of witnessing what God's done in other people's lives. Um, and then see them, you use that and, um, you know, be a part of the solution, um, of hope and, and redirecting people back to him. And I think that what you're doing is just so brave, um, and, and amazing. Um, you know, and I absolutely believe that God's going to continue to bless that. I hope so. And, and I have to say, and, I, and actually, let me, yeah, this is, this is the book it is, it's called this much. I know the space between love it. And, and, um, and, and the concept behind it is this much I know, the first half is my story. Because the one thing all of us have is our story. This much I know. This much I know. And no one can take it from us. And then the space between is that healing journey of going from wounds to healing to scars. So that that that's kind of what ended up you know coming out. Uh, it actually won second place nonfiction last year, last November at the Very Faith cool. and Fellowship Book Festival in Atlanta, Ohio. Uh, so that was that was exciting and Very encouraging. Cool. Yeah, I was I was kind of surprised. It was kind of exciting for me. And then I am working on book number two now. It's going to be the second in the This Much I Know series, and this one's going to be called This Much I Know. It's okay to not be okay. So, um, but um, uh, I, I, so I, 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 all that to say, I appreciate what you said. Um, what, what I wanted to say is that, um, and it just escaped me. Oh, it just that um, with, with the courage, one of the things I talk about in the book is one of the things that really helped me start having that courage, you know, building on, the, on, on that bedrock that, that I am valuable to God was Simone Biles. And if you want to you know, have the story, have have a domino effect of the power of sharing your story, when she came out and shared her story, that really challenged me. And, and on my step ahead, I've got you know I had a bunch of blogs, and and um, when that came out, I wrote a whole blog post about it, and, and that's where I started sharing my story more publicly, of, because like okay, if she can, I need to. So just another example of the domino of the power of sharing your story. I love that. I love that. Um, and, and of course, guys, we're going to have links to everything from from Sue. Uh, we're going to have a link to her website. We're going to have a link to, uh, uh, to to her book and, and all of that down in the description below. Um, and, and, and and Sue, I think we could we could talk for hours. We can go for four, five, six, seven. If, yeah. we, <laughs> if we put on a pot of coffee, let's sit around the campfire. If, if we really wanted to, I think we could. I think we could have a little. Yeah, we uh, we have a little fireside chat next time. Uh, I think we'll definitely have to have you back again if you would love uh, be so uh, gracious to. Uh, you know, gracious with your presence. I think that'd be awesome. Um, Cause again, I think we could dive really deep into this and go for hours and hours, but um, I do know. I'm up for it. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I know we kind of have to, to wrap it all up, but before we before we go, uh, Sue, uh, where can everybody find you? You know, I know you, you got the stuff with the book going on. You're writing book number two, um, uh, but you know, go ahead and plug anything for the show. <laughs> well, you know, uh, they'll have a link to the book. It's on Amazon and Kindle. Um, yeah. 
you've got there's two different websites. There's my step ahead. That's more of a, the encouragement website. Mm-hmm. And then SueBowls.com is more for the coaching and the speaking and that kind of thing. Um, face uh, there's my step ahead is on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for social media. And there's also Facebook for Sue Bowles coaching. So I've got a number of different ways you can find me. This I would love to love to hear from you. If I can throw out a couple of things here real quick. On Please. the website, if you go to SueBowles.com forward slash offer, um, there is there's a, a, a PDF I have. There's this little little um, like self care. You know, I've got a few different ones I rotate through. But if you would like this P, a PDF, a PDF, and just like some some personal uh, personal development, if you want to use use that word. <coughs> Of anywhere from, and like I said, I've had that number of different ones I have going on. Uh, but yeah. anyway, if, if you like that, you can just go to the website, send me your email, I'll send that out to you. And then also, if there's something coaching-wise that I could help with, um, or that you had some questions or, or you're not sure what's going on, um, I also offer a 15-minute free consultation. So you can also go to SueBowls.com, send me an email, we can get that scheduled and everything. Um, the other thing is that with the walking stick retreats, that's open to anybody. And I would, this open invitation, I would love for people to come. Um, like I said, there's nothing magical. It's just a safe place to be you and let God do whatever he wants to do in your life. And to walk along people who love you just because you're God's kid. And we have our next retreat end of June down in um, Ridgecrest, North Carolina, just outside of uh, Asheville. Uh, and, and then there's one in October and that. Where do they say that one is? That one is in Beckley, West Virginia. Um, so, and that that website is walkingstickretreats.org. dot uh, They're on on social media as well. Or again, write me and I'll get you the link. But open invitation, man. Come on, let's you know, and, and we can sit around the fire and talk all night too. <laughs> I think that's I think that's amazing. I think that's awesome. Well, guys, thank you so so much for coming out and and, and listening to this episode of the podcast. This one was this one was very special. Uh, uh, I'm I'm super thankful to you, Kristen, for for showing up again. Happy birthday to you, Chelsea. Yeah. Thank you again uh, for for showing up to the show. Uh, your insight and your questions were amazing. Uh, same with you, Kristen. Uh, definitely brought a depth to the to the show, to the interview today that uh, I, I could not have done for myself. So thank you for, for, for your perspectives. And of course, Jason, thank you for being here as always, brother. I'm sorry you're not feeling so well, but we'll get you back to full strength and and back out again. And of course, thank you again to, to our lovely guest, Sue Bowles. Uh, guys, I'm going to have links to everything down in the description below. Like we said before, suebowls.com slash offer, get that PDF, you know, sign up to her email list, uh, mystepahead.com. We're going to have a link to her book. It's all going to be down there in the description below. So please, please, please go check that out. This is not going to be the last time that Sue will be here. I'm sure we'll have, we'll have a, we'll have a revisit at some point, but that'd be great. Yeah, that would be awesome. But guys, thank you. Thank you again from all of us here. You can find us where all podcasts can be heard. Apple, Spotify, Google, Anchor, everywhere. We're over on YouTube. Just look up Spiraling Podcast and type it in the search bar and we'll be the first one to come right up. So I hope you guys all have a wonderful rest of your day. And we'll see you on the next one. Bye-bye.